Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 22nd, and our chapter for today is 2 Kings chapter 19. Well, I hope you have been reading along as we go through these exciting chapters. Now, if you have not done so, I want to encourage you to take the time and read through the parallel passages in 2 Chronicles chapters 29, 30, 31, and 32. It is the chronicle of Hezekiah, godly King Hezekiah, and some of the things that he did to honor God in his lifetime. Yes, at the end of his life, he made a serious mistake of pride, and in his pride showed all of his treasure to the enemy. That's something we should never do, because many times it is just opening up the door for the enemy to come in and take it, as was the case of Hezekiah and the Babylonians. But as you read those parallel passages, as Ezra wrote them out in Second Chronicles, you'll see that God used Hezekiah in an unusual way, and so much so that none before him since King David and none after him in the Judaic dynasty was used in such a fruitful and miraculous way. You see, it was Hezekiah that opened up the temple after it had been closed down by his father. That's right. The beautiful temple that Solomon built was completely closed and shuttered by the predecessors of Hezekiah. But Hezekiah took days, a couple of weeks, just to cleanse the temple and to open it back up. It had been completely closed. There was no worship going on, no sacrifices to honor God. And the worship of the true God in Israel did not exist in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah opened it up. Not only did he do that, but since the days of Solomon, there had never been such a celebration of the Passover. They did it a month late because it took them so long to just get enough priests and Levites together to have Passover. There were so many priests that were out of sync and out of work that it took them a while to get enough, and the Levites who were, yes, of the tribe of Levi, but they were not of the sons of Aaron. They were Levites, not priests. They were more in tune with God than the priests themselves, and so they were ready at a moment's notice and were already cleansed and clean and were able to serve as priests. And so it's an amazing story, and you can read about that in the Chronicles material. But you'll notice that it was in this time period that the northern kingdom fell. And it's interesting, as you read through the parallel passages in the Chronicles, how that some of the tribes were mentioned, Manasseh, 
Asher, Zebulon. They had come specifically and people from their tribes back to the homeland of Judah to worship the true and the living God. As a matter of fact, it was one of these tribes that Anna, who was in the temple the day that Jesus was brought in for his dedication, she praised God and she was of one of these great tribes of Asher and Zebulon and Manasseh. And so it was not a total loss in the north. As I said yesterday in the podcast, many from the north came, fled to the south when they saw the Assyrians coming and Hezekiah opened the doors. He wanted them to come. And even when he had Passover, he went and invited people from every walk of life to come. And so many of them felt free to come when the trouble arose in the north. And that's why Hezekiah built a great broad wall and God blessed it. But when we come to chapter 19, you have the continuing saga of what was taking place. The great threats of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, had now come to bear. And Hezekiah did what any man of God, any ruler, any leader should do. The first thing he did was not talk to everybody else. He talked to God. And the scripture says that when Rabshakeh, you'll find in verse 4, when Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, had sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. This is what Hezekiah said to Isaiah. This king has reproached the name of the living God. Will you pray for us and give us wisdom? So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And then the scripture says that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Syria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord God, I pray, save us from his hand. And listen to this, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. What a motivation. You think God will answer that kind of prayer? Well, he did. 
And Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. That means that you would just lower your head, bow your head, and shake your head looking at someone like that. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? You've done it against the Holy One of Israel. You see, when you raise your hand against God's people, you're raising your hand against God himself. When you raise your hand against Israel, the people of God, you're raising your hand against the apple of God's eye. When you raise your hand against the church of Jesus, then you're raising your hand against God Almighty. Ask Saul of Tarsus what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, as far as we know, Saul of Tarsus never laid a hand on Jesus. But when you have done it to his people, to his sons, his daughters, you have done it unto him. And so this is the message. Then verse 23 says, by your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. That is, you have spoken against God and said, by the multitudes of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees, and I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it, now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into the heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before its growers. But I know your dwelling place, your going out and your coming in, and your rage against me. God said, Sennacherib, don't you understand I know who you are? I made you. You have been able to do these things because I allowed it to happen. But now you have, in pride and pomp, you have raised your hand and blasphemed me, the God of heaven. And he said, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. You see, as I said yesterday, God has the final say. He said, this will be a sign unto you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Wow, what a phrase. Shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. You see, it's our responsibility to plant our seed and our roots go deep. And it's God's responsibility 
to make the increase. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, the same shall he return, and he shall not come again into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now look at this. God said, I'm going to do this because of who I am and because of who David is and my faithfulness to him. Now what about a God who is faithful to Abraham and David, even though they're gone, God says, I will be faithful to them, even though they are not on the earth. I am, and I will do the right thing. It is amazing what God does for us because of his promises to those who have gone before, and especially his promises to his own dear son, the Lord Jesus. Do you know you and I are right now reaping the benefit of those who have prayed a thousand prayers before we ever got here? I often say to churches, when the good hand of God is a Upon us for no reason of our own doing. And they will say, well, God's being good to us. And I'll say, yes, he's being good to us many times, not because of our prayers, not because of our faithfulness, but because many who planted trees that they will never set under that they prayed for the day that we're living in, but they never saw it. But God in his goodness has answered their prayers because they prayed not only for their own generation, but for the generation in which we live. And so did King David. So did Abraham. Verse 35, And it came to pass on a certain night, that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Notice the hyphen. There were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh, modern-day Mosul. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons came in with a sword, and they struck him down. Then they fled to the land of Ararat, that is, the same land where the ark had landed with Noah. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Now think about it. God said he'll die in his own land, and he did by the hand of his own sons. You see, God always has the final say. Don't be fearful over the blustering of kings and governments and princes and prime ministers and presidents and those in power because not even the Supreme Court of the United States has the final say. There is a God in heaven who is the final judge and he will have the last say. There is a king who will rule with a rod of iron one day and he will have the last say. Beloved, look up. These are great days in which we're living. 
And we need to understand that tyrants will come and they will go. God will raise up one and he'll put down another. He always is the one that has that say. And he can turn the heart of any man. He can turn the heart of any king, any president, any prime minister. As he turns the rivers on their way and they're meandering to the sea, so it is with God and the heart of a king. And so the final episode was not what the king of Assyria said, but what the king of heaven said. Now think about it. In one night, one angel killed 185,000 crack Assyrian troops. These were the top troops that were surrounding Jerusalem. Do you remember the night in the garden when Peter cut off the head of Malchus? Uh, the servant of the high priest, he wasn't striking for his ear. He wasn't that good with a sword. No, he was striking to cut his head off, and the man bowed and bent over, and when he did, he cut his ear off. The Lord restored his ear and said, Peter, put up your sword. If you live by it, you'll die by it. Don't you understand that right now I could call legions of angels? Legions? That's thousands. That's thousands, legions, plural. That's thousands of angels. One angel, one angel killed 185,000 in one night. Think of the days of the great tribulation to come, the great crushing to come. Why, at the sound of the blast of one trumpet, at the opening of one seal, Two billion, maybe three billion with a B will be killed at one time. Listen, you don't want to mess with God. He's the God of creation. He's the God of all the angels. One angel, 185,000 dead. Corpses, all dead. Fear God? You better believe it. Our nation has lost its fear of God. We best be regaining it, because the God of heaven will not always be silent. He answered Hezekiah's prayer. He answered through the prophet Isaiah. Maybe God will do it again. We pray so as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.